Welcome to Yousef ICEP, a weekly podcast with Northern Lights Winery founder Doug Bell, exploring the experiences from leaders in business, social media, and family. Now here's this week's exceptional guest. Welcome to Yousef ICEP. We have Tim Dumas here today, the owner and partner for Jack's Beer, Wine, and Spirits, and also a coach for many business leaders in the province of British Columbia, and I'm assuming quite away from that as well. Now, I'm really excited to talk to Tim because he's had an incredible life experience and he has a lot of similarities to myself in terms of working with family and learning from a young age what real hard work is about. Uh, He has a lot of experience in the wine industry and even some in fruit wines. So we're going to talk about that later as well. Welcome, Tim. Hey, thanks, Doug. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much. And uh, I'm drinking our Cuvée Noir. That's our Red Wine Masters blend here. Uh, And uh, this is a nice wine to get us set on a smooth uh, day of learning about your uh, your past and history. So I want to get us started maybe uh, at a younger age uh, when you just started to get involved in your family's business, but maybe even before that, uh, what lessons you learned, which you use later on when you got involved uh, in the actual day-to-day operation. Yeah, so I think anytime that you grow up in, in a family business or in a, in, in a family that's had family business, you, you learn a lot of lessons. Um, and, and certainly I did that at, at, at Jack's. We're a fourth generation family business. So I'm, I'm generation four and even potentially moving on to generation five here right now. Um, but so I grew up with, with, um, with uncles and aunts. And, and my parents who were in the family business. And so you really learn, um, you know, I, I think what it takes to succeed and, and also sometimes what it doesn't. And, and, you know, I learned, you know, from my dad and my uncles about that, you know, it, it, it was, it was an all in thing. It wasn't, you know, doing, working in a family business is not necessarily something you do in the, in the generic nine to five time. It, it encompassed our lives. And, and in some ways that's really good because, you can balance that, maybe balance is the wrong word, but you can uh, integrate that with your life. So, you know, uh, my parents, my dad was at a, a lot of our sport events in the afternoon, but he might be a, at work early in the morning or late at night integrating that. So there's a lot of great value in family business. And, and there's a lot of hard things too, because it's hard to turn off when you're always with family. So, um, you know, there's there's so many great things about a family business. I'm incredibly blessed that I was born into a family business because I learned a lot of great lessons. But there are a lot of hardships and difficult things, too, where, you know, that Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner can often become a business meeting really quick if you're not careful. So it's hard to turn off. So I, I wouldn't necessarily have it any other way. But uh, but there's there's certainly lots of pluses and minuses I've, I've had along the way. Yeah, well, certainly I can relate to that because uh, I started in my family business at the young age of three. Um, I believe at the beginning I was in charge of toasting buns at Wendy's in Prince George, standing on a milk crate and uh, and sweeping the floors um, for sometimes upwards of nine hours a day uh, when we had to. And, and it was all about that family atmosphere. So when you kind of had that, one of the most influential people on you was actually your grandfather. Could you tell us more about him? Yeah, so my grandfather wasn't even necessarily in the family business. He was a doctor and, and he impressed on me a lot of things. And, and he brought some passions to me that I took to the family business that weren't necessarily in the family business. So one of my earliest memories of my grandfather, uh, he was the, the team doctor for the BC Lions, my, my favorite football team. And I really only got into football 
uh, one day when I was about five or six years old and I was watching, my parents were watching the game and they said, you know, watch the game because you might see grandpa. And so some, sure enough, some guy gets hurt and I see him trotting out onto the field to attend to this player. And that made an impression on me. And, uh, and he always uh, had the goal of, of having one of his children or maybe one of his grandchildren, one of his six children or two, more than, or two dozen grandchildren to become a doctor and for him to influence their passions. And that day he influenced my passion to his dismay. It wasn't the passion of becoming a doctor and working in medicine. It was his passion for football. And from that day on, uh, I was uh, incredibly passionate. And that, and that was the number one thing in my life from since I was six to, to probably the last day I played when I was in my early 20s. And then even to this day when I still uh, coach, uh, coach teams to this day. So as he saw me grow, though, uh, he used to have, he used to have you know, heart to hearts with me. Um, and, uh, and he said, Tim, Football is a great passion and you can live it and you can really influence a lot of great people. But he said, never forget the most important things in your life. And he said, uh, I know football is important, but the most important things in your life also begin with F and that's your faith and your family. And lastly, football, never forget they come in that in that order. And so from a very young age, I had that I had that um, that 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 upbringing, but uh, I didn't necessarily always have it in that that order. I didn't necessarily understand it. But I think as you grow older, you grow in understanding uh, that life is about something bigger than yourself and something greater than yourself. And that's what my faith has become to me. And then secondarily, how I live that out is certainly through my family. And then lastly, in anything else I do, both professionally and personally. And, and that's where football lays in. But I think I also layered in um, what I do professionally in, in coaching in, in working professionally. And I think that all ties into who I am as a person. Do you agree, Tim, that, uh, faith, family, and football all have a very similar concept of service of others? Um, and if so, maybe you could expand on that for me. Well, I, I think if, if you, if you look at service of others, I think it's really uh, tying into leadership and what the definition of leadership is. And, um, and, and really, as I spoke about, you know, something greater than yourself, a, a mentor of mine, Steve Farber, the author of the book, Love is Just Damn Good Business, uh, he talks about this greater than yourself project. And when he goes into companies and works with companies on their culture, he asks each person, what's, the, what's your greater than yourself project? Because if we're in a business just to do something for ourselves or even just to make profit, people don't buy into that. And not only that, that's not only our customers, but also the people that, that work with us. So, and especially as we go into this generation Z or generation Z, as they call it now, you know, they ask us questions when we hire them about what are the charities you support? What are you doing for the community? What are you doing to make the world a better place? And that's really what gives a business a uh, longstanding uh, life and what breathes the life into a business. So when we look at it and when we put all those things together, for me, as, a, as you said, in service and for me in that faith, family and football, and, and for me, that really is defining leadership. And I went on a... Um, uh, I guess, a journey of, of trying to figure out what leadership was many years ago. I, I got my first job as a leader and I walked into that room. And as I walked into that room, I had prepared the greatest speech you've ever heard to fire these people up. They were all going to follow me to the promised land. 
And I gave a great speech and they all looked back at me and they had their mouths open. They're like, why? Why would I follow you? What I didn't understand was leadership and how to connect with people yet. I was willing to work hard. I was willing to do whatever it took, but I didn't understand what leadership was or what the definition even was. So as a great child of the 80s, I went to the dictionary and I went to Encyclopedia Britannica. I went to Merriam-Webster Dictionary and I said, what's leadership? And the definition of Merriam-Webster is this. It's the act of being a leader uh, or sorry, the position of being the leader or act of leading. And I'm like, that doesn't tell me anything. You can't define a word by the root of its word. That tells me nothing. So I went to look at, you know, who are some of the greatest leaders in history? What did they say? And it took me the better part of a decade to find a definition that I really identified with. And it wasn't until I met a guy named Alex Havard who wrote a book called Virtuous Leadership and the Power of Magnanimity. Yes, magnanimity. I had no clue what that word meant or I didn't even know how to say it when I first met him. He said, Tim, it's as simple as magnanimity. And the root of that word comes from generosity. But he defined it as this, the spirit of striving for greatness by bringing out the greatness in others. And really, that's what leadership is. And I think when you talk about service and service to others in whatever you do, for me being in my family or my faith or in football or in, in my work with Jacks or my work with executive coaching, it really comes down to that, is how can I personally strive for greatness by bringing out the greatness in those around me? So what are what are some of the uh, strategies? Because of course it's different uh, when you're in different groups, right? The somebody who uh, works for you is going to have different needs, and and everyone has a different personality and different desires. And then of course you have your family and your children, and you want to kind of strive to help them become the best versions of themselves that that is possible. Why, what kind of drives you to do this, and and how do you approach it? Well, I actually think I approach it very similarly to people, my family, my friends, and people that I work with, because I, I think it's really about being authentic. You know, a leader a hundred years ago was somebody different at work than they were at home and, um, and, and vice versa. A leader today, I think is authentic, uh, lives with humility and vulnerability and lives that same way in their professional life and in their personal life. And so if you saw how I acted in my home life versus how I act at work, I don't really think it would be all that different how I act with my children and how I might uh, lead them versus how I might hope to uh, influence the people that I work with. And I think what it really comes down to is, you know, when we talk about leadership and we talk about uh, lead, you know, there, there's there's a few words I think that, that that we hang our hat on when we lead people. Number one in L is, is love. And number two is energy, E, A, accountable, holding people accountable, and D, and dreaming with them, dreaming with them audaciously. So if we take that acronym of lead, love, energy, accountability, and dream, uh, that's really what we do with our kids, right? Our people in our personal lives. You know, to love them, we need to bring energy to the table, help energize them to get pumped up of what they need to do in their lives, go to school so they can go to, go to college or vocational school or whatever they want to do to get a job, to, to live the best life that they could. But we also start with them and we dream with them from a young age. We ask our kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Is it a hockey player? Is it a, is a firefighter? Or what is it? And so from a young age, we get people dreaming. And one of the tragedies in the world is that at the age of 18 or somewhere around there, we try to cut that, those dreams off of the knees. We say, you know what? You just got to get a job. You just got to get to work. 
you forget about dreaming, just start going through life. And that's one of the greatest tragedies of our, of our society. But if we take that same thought process, that same leadership that we have with our families and we take it to work and we start uh, loving people, uh, bringing energy and helping to energize them, being accountable and dreaming with them, amazing things start to happen. At Jack's, we have dream sessions. So um, we actually ask people, how can I support you in your personal dreams? Because do you really want to go to a workplace where all I care about is how you can make me more profit? Or uh, And I haven't met anyone that said, yeah, I'm in for that. Look, the owners of our company are not even in, into that. Their goals, if you know, profit might help them to achieve some of their dreams, put more in their savings account for their kids' college, um, you know, buy the house of their dreams. That might help them achieve their dreams, but nobody even the owners of companies show up just to hit that profitability. That's not their dream. So when we tie in the dreams of our people and we show them that we're going to support them to achieve those dreams and that the, the workplace is actually a conduit to that, amazing things happen. Can you think of the, the connection that we have with each other because of sharing our dreams with each other and helping them to achieve those? Just the other day when we had a dream session, one of our managers um, she was, she was struggling a little bit with this dream session. So she said, okay, let's, let's think about this a different way. When you were a child, what was your greatest dream? What did you want to be? The person thought for a while and they said, you know what? I wanted to be Tarzan, but that's really irrelevant to what we're talking about today. Right? She said, well, maybe, maybe not. Let's think about this for a minute. What was it that you loved about Tarzan? And they said, you know, it'd be cool to live in the jungle and swing from the vines and just be in that environment. The next question then became, have you ever been to the jungle? Would you like to be there? So out of this strange, you might think, line of questioning, this person got it re, got re-in touch with what their dream was and started to plan out how one day they would take this trip to the jungle. And they're their boss at work is, stay, is helping them do that and setting up this five-year plan of saving to go to a, on a jungle vac cruise or jungle vacation and to actually see that jungle that they always long to be in. And can you imagine the loyalty that's built up, the engagements that's built up between these people because they show that they truly care about each other? That's incredible. And I'm assuming that it took you uh, a while to get to this place of, of energy and to learn all of these concepts. You talked about some of the research you did. Maybe take us back a little bit further. When, when you were younger, what were some of the things that you did that helped develop some of these skills and mindsets for you? Maybe football or other sports or teams or, or, uh, or your church? Yeah, I, I think football had, had a huge impact on, on my life. And there's a few things in that. When you think about when you go into a football game or, or other athletic events or even other activities that people do, um, energy is apparent. If you don't come in and help energize the people around you, you got no chance of winning if there's not some energy around that team going into that field of battle. So certainly that. The other thing was certainly the dreaming piece. Never do you hear a coach say to you, and if ever you do, it's not the coach you want to be around. Never do you hear them say, that's too audacious of a dream. You'll never make it to the pros. What the coach says is, hey, here's some tips and tricks, and here's what you might have to do to get to the pros. Start working on this. Here's an action plan. So really what that is, is very similar to what we would do in the business world today with dream sessions. 
here's, here's your dream. Here's an action plan. Let's go after it. The other thing that sports or football taught me is accountability and being able to take constructive criticism. I played, played college football and no matter we played on Saturdays and the day after the game, you go in and you watch the game film, you watch each play multiple times and you know, you get a grade for each play, all of the 50 some odd plays you might've played in that game. And if you had a great game, you're graded out at like 70%. And that was if you had a great game. So it was really the day of wrecking. You might've had a couple of touchdowns. You might've thought that you played a great game. And when you dissect every moment of every game for the purpose of getting better, that's really where growth happens. So if, if you couldn't take, well, you'll learn to take constructive criticism pretty quickly when, you know, the day after every game is that day of reckoning, celebrating your successes and looking at those brutal facts and, and how you can improve. And, you know, I think in the business world, sometimes we're afraid to be candid with people like that. We're afraid of how they might take it. One of my mentors named Nancy McKay, who is the founder of McKay CEO Forums, once to me, Tim, she said, Tim, it's all about love. And love isn't all about rainbows and puppies. Think about when you love your child and they're going to go running, you know, they, they're running towards the, towards the street. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to jump. You might even push them back and they might scrape their knee, but you stopped them from running into the street, right? But when we're in the business world, sometimes we're afraid of saying those hard things that might, could be taken the wrong way. But if we truly want to grow, that's our only opportunity. I had one manager that I worked with at one time, and we we're talking about this concept of love in the workplace. This manager said to me like, Whoo, Tim, you know what? I don't think I can be a good manager. And I said, wow, that's interesting. I'd love to hear more. He said, I am just too nice. And I said, I'd love to hear more about that. This person said, well, you know, people are coming in late and I'm just too nice to kind of say anything, you know, something might have happened. I just kind of let it go. And, you know, I'm also too nice where, you know, it was the long weekend coming up and, you know, half of our staff wanted the weekend off. So I gave it all of them all the weekend off. And then the people who are left at work, they were really mad at me because we didn't have enough people to staff the long weekend. And they, it was, it was hard on them. So there's all these things happening. I'm just too nice. And I stared at him. This person stared at me. And I said, I don't know if that's true. I actually wonder if you're not too, to put it bluntly, too selfish to actually say something hard, to have a difficult conversation. If you truly care about each of those people that you work with, you're going to help to hold them accountable to be on time. Because if they can't be on time, they're not going to be able to support the people around them. They're not going to be able to hold down that job. If you don't have difficult conversations with people saying, hey, uh, we can't give everybody the day off because we need other people to work. And if we don't, we're going to really make it difficult for those other people here. It's going to be a problem. So what really happened to this person in hiding behind the nicest and hiding behind thinking that this was love, it didn't, this person really didn't understand that love means having tough conversations to get to the greatest outcome. And that's really one of the great values in, uh, in leadership. I mean, you're talking a lot about candidness and, and the other component that's really important is emotional intelligence, right? Understanding um, each person that is working for you. I often um, hear from people the, the term boss, and I, I just hate that word. Every time I hear it, it's kind of, I, I cringe a little bit because 
Most people are dealing with individuals all day on the premise that as a boss, I am in charge of what you do. And that is not that is the furthest thing um, from the truth. And in fact, um, the people that work for us, we really work for them because if we can provide the tools for them to be successful, um, then they are going to be much more successful. And that is both as an individual and as a team. But there's a great balance, right? Because uh, a team does need a lot of hard love and candidness um, because you are working because they are also working for each other. And an individual needs a lot of love and candidness because you want to see them exceed their own expectations in some ways. How do you balance this need to to, you know, have these kind conversations yet um, understand that you can't always give them everything that they desire? Yeah, so uh, you certainly, uh, you're right there. While you can't give them everything that you they desire, you can help them with an action plan. And that's really what we can give to people, right? Um, what we can give to people is helping them to dream audaciously and helping them set out an action plan. And I think one of the greatest things that we don't always do in business is actually think about, you know, ask that person, what's the best thing for you? And in some cases, uh, that action plan to, to achieve great growth for that person might be to actually to leave the company, right? When I first had my first job at a university, it was with Ernst & Young, a, a big accounting firm, right? And they sit y'all down. And I think there was about 35 of us that started that year that, uh, you know, that sort of intake every year. And they said, you know what, here's the deal. About three of you, 10% will become partners. And, you know, 25% will become senior managers and 40% you know, managers. So our job is to help you find what the right path is for you. And at least half of you will have to leave in three to five years to achieve those dreams that you have. It's because this isn't the right place for everybody. But our, our, what we give you is we give you training. And in turn, you give us, you know, you know, hard work. And then we help you onto that path that you're, you're chosen to be on. So I really think what, what, our job is as leaders is to support people in that action and to be selfless and to help them to, to create that action. Hopefully that's with us, but also knowing that uh, for many people to grow, they'll have to grow um, outside of us, right? And so that, that's, that's really where the rubber hits the road in leadership. So Tim, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your journey. And, and obviously you didn't always stay with your family company. You journeyed out and you, you learned a lot from other entities. So maybe some of uh, some details on that and some of the highlights of how you left and then what brought you back. Yeah. So I, I think, um, what any time you're in a, um, in a, in a growth phase personally, you're looking for game changers. And, and, and I really think everybody's looking for game changers. So one really lucky thing I had, and, and, and I think it's one thing that sports and football taught me is you look to surround yourself with, with great people. And so I was lucky enough to have coaches that, you know, that played in the pros and coached in the pros and surround myself the people that could be with people that could be game changers for me. And then as I graduated from college and went on, there, you know, I always had this in the back of my mind that, you know, you're the product of the few people that you hang out with the most. So I continued to search for these game changers. And even to this day, I'm meeting new people 
um, every week that could be future game changers. When we surround ourselves with great other thoughts and great other people, great things happen. So for me coming out of college, it started with with Ernst and Young. And moving on from there, I got back into some semblances of the family business, but always looking to network for people that could be game changers. As it's kind of come back to where I am today, there was the next opportunity in, in the Jack's part of the family business. And as that grew, that grew into other game changers, which helped me to become the executive coach I am today, such as, um, you know, Kevin Lawrence with Lawrence and Co and his coaches, um, uh, Dean Ritchie and Tim Shocking. So um, Kevin Lawrence, as you might know, wrote, uh, wrote a, a chapter in the book called Scaling Up, which is known as one of the basically the business Bible of scaling businesses. So being able to be with those people and game changers, as I grew from that, I met Nancy McKay and McKay CEO Forums, one of the greatest business coaches, uh, certainly in this country and, and probably in the world. So once I started to look at what those people were doing and trying to try to emulate them, that's when great things happen, not only in my business life, but also my personal life. So, uh, you know, in, 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 a, in a short story there, there's been a long and winding road of always trying to chase, uh, chase game changers. And hopefully along that road, I was giving back as a game changer to others. And that makes a lot of sense. And you you definitely have accomplished a great amount uh, in a fairly short period of time. I mean, you were still a young guy, but was there anything that like a tipping point in your life um, outside of maybe the coaches and, and the university football that you played where somebody stepped up to you and said some of these things about who you're going to meet and and how important they are going to be to the future of your life? Yeah, if, if if I really had to bring that down to one person, I, I, I had been doing it um, for a while, but there's one person that really um, honed in on that term, the game changer for me, and that's Nancy McKay, who I mentioned before, the founder of McKay CEO Forums. And when I did coaching sessions with her, every time I set a goal, she encouraged me to state who that game changer might be. And uh, she even encouraged me to dream audaciously about those game changers. She said, that game changer might be someone you don't even know today. It could be the world leader in that, uh, in that pursuit. I challenge you to find the greatest game changer and surround yourself with that person. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've read the book, Think and Grow Rich. And uh, I didn't read that book for a long time because I thought it was, um, I thought it was a uh, 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 too narrow-minded if you're just thinking about riches as it relates to um, to money. And I didn't just want to be a person that, that chased, chased money. But I met a game changer for me named Paul Martinelli, who's, uh, who's in Florida. He was rated as uh, one of the top three global gurus in the world in coaching. And when I talked to Paul, Paul said, Tim, I want you to read this book. And I said, I don't, want, it's, I don't want to just read a book about money. He said, Tim, you got to look at this. And every time you read the word rich, think about some of the goals in your life as it relates to your interpersonal relationships, your business, your leadership, and think about what your goal is on your best version of success for yourself. Insert that with riches. When I did that, it changed how I thought about the book and how I thought about life. And in the book, it talks about how, um, how people would, would just go out and find the greatest person game changer they could think of and knock on that door until 
that person answer the door. And so I started to do that with Game Changers in the customer service area, like Shep Hyken, known as in America, one of the greatest Game Changers. Uh, I just knocked on his door by email and by phone until the guy answered the phone. All of a sudden he said, Tim, how can I help? I did that with Patricia Fripp, one of the uh, foremost speaking experts currently living in San Francisco. All of a sudden, one day I'm in the grocery store, I get a call saying, hey, Tim, this is Patricia Fripp. Um, just because I asked. And now there are also hundreds of people that didn't reply to me. But if you ask enough people, you'll find a person that will be your game changer. The key for me was not giving up and continuing to knock on doors until someone was willing to be that game changer. Yeah. So you had the tenacity to do that. And it, obviously that is a, a big word in a way, because sometimes we, when we don't have a lot, we don't know what we can do uh, to get to that next level. But the thing that is a commonality between every single person in this world is that we all have the same amount of time. Doesn't matter how much money you have, you have the same amount of time. And the way you decide to invest your time is absolutely critical in your success whether that's developing yourself, educating yourself, whether that is spending time going and knocking on doors, uh, not actually very uh, much different than the way we met, which uh, was through uh, LinkedIn. And I really liked some of your posts and I learned a little bit about you and I asked to, to connect there and then, and then we got to talking and, and here we are today. Um, so those types of things, you never know how many individuals you're gonna have to reach out to, um, but trying to get as close to the sun as possible is critical for you to take that next leap. And sometimes for some people, that's money that can drive that. Uh, um, you know, you can hire a business coach, you can, um, you know, buy a seat at a table at a big event, or, you know, you can do other things. But I think the simple principle of, of investing in yourself, whether that be with time, with resources, or with money is, is very critical for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I certainly think you, you got to be able to, to put in the work and do it smartly. But you also have to have that person that's that's willing to help hold you accountable, right? So I had so many times along the way that, that I stumbled, didn't do it well. And I had a person in my executive coach um, through Lawrence and Co., Dean Ritchie, that would continue on with me. He'd tell me tough truths, say, Tim, I don't get it. You told me this was your goal. You haven't done anything about it. You know, you set these uh, objectives. Tell me what the truth is if you're not going to work to achieve these. So I had someone who was uh, willing to push when needed and also give me a proverbial hug when I needed it, right? Um, when I needed to be, you know, consoled and continue to, to work with. So now that doesn't have to be a coach that you pay, right? Many of us have that in teachers, you know, from high school in, in coaches we had from school. It could be a great friend, Um I have a great friend right now that I have a, a once a week call with on uh, to do with uh, the book that I'm writing. He, he's, he, he was written a book before. And I said, will you just call me once a week and say, Hey, Tim, how's the book going? And there's some weeks I'm like, I'm so sorry. Uh, like it, nothing happened this week. And he's like, Tim, don't waste my time. And I don't want to waste his time. He's a good friend of mine. And so I was just able to find that accountability partner. So wherever it is, it doesn't have that uh, cost money. But if you have a goal that you want to achieve, you got to find that accountability partner. Just those, like those days when you're going to the gym and you're going to the gym at 6am and you want to sleep in, 
you're probably not going to leave, want to leave your friend hanging there. But if your friend's not there with you that day, you might be willing to hit the snooze button. You're absolutely right. And many people, though, don't have that person to be accountable to. And so they try and force it on themselves, which is why a lot of times uh, you make the the uh, annual New Year's tradition of setting goals that no longer you know come to fruition. By the end of January, you've already ditched the gym and you're doing something else. Accountability to people is so critical. Maybe you could just touch a little more on that because I think that's really a good focus. Well, I think there's two pieces. There's accountability and there's also the ultimate goal that you're getting to, right? So if I'm just going to the gym and, you know, as my New Year's resolution for the sake of going to the gym, I might not continue to do it. But if I can actually tie that to something in the long term that I want to be, do, or achieve, that's when you can actually look to that and say, okay, I'm getting closer to that. So, you know, if I have that goal where at the you know, at, at a, uh, older age of my life, I want to still be able to run when I'm, you know, 80 years old and I keep, I have that, that mental mindset in the back of my head, I got to continue to keep myself in shape today so I can still run or play with my kids or grandkids at the age of 80 years old. Now, that accountability piece as well is a lot about how the people that we surround ourselves with, right? So there's always those people around us and, and there's some people's personalities that's more outgoing and some that's less outgoing. So this is easier for some than others, but um, making sure to surround ourselves with those people is really how that accountability piece um, comes forward. And there are all those people in our daily lives that we probably just might need to ask. And we need to go on that limb and ask somebody um, to hold us accountable. And there's, there's another piece to that. And that's a, the piece of just saying it. And so I don't necessarily have anyone that's holding me accountable to, um, to a trip I want to take my family on. But when I verbalize that and told my friends, hey, in a year, I have this goal of taking my family on this trip. I'm on the hook now because they're going to ask me about it. So I don't necessarily have an accountability partner on that, but I had the audacity to come out and state it. And now once I've said it, I don't want people to, to tell me I'm a liar or tell me I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not achieving these things. I'm going to now go out and do it. So I don't look stupid. So when did you first uh, reinvest into yourself? When did you get your first uh, coach and, and why did you choose to do that? So I was very lucky when I joined uh, Jack's Beer, Wine and Spirits as a partner seven years ago, um, we were going through a big growth phase where we had gone from a company of three or four stores to now we're going to, to six or seven to above to now where we're at 13 today. And we were, I was really lucky that one of our partners knew that to really grow to that level, we need to surround ourselves with a coach and a game changer. Now, to that time in my life, well, I had really understood coaching and, and through my time in sports, although, you know, that type of coaching is a little bit different. Um, once I got into the business world, I had bought into what my mentors in business were telling me, which was set your nose to the grindstone. You don't need to listen to anybody. Just work hard, put your head down, work for 12 hours plus a day, go home and do it all again tomorrow. And, you know, that can get you so far but it can't get you as far as you possibly could unless you step back one day and actually um, set your, you know, talk to those game changers, find those game changers and set your strategic priorities. So when I had an open mind, when this person came in to speak to us 
then when we started doing it, I was like, how have I not known about this for my first decade in leadership? I basically spent actually more than a decade, closer to a decade and a half. And I didn't actually know that this existed. I just went day to day, just working hard and hoping for the best, really on a day-to-day basis, just buying as many lottery tickets as I could and hoping for the best. But when I saw that, I realized the value in that. And that's when I said, I need to, I need to do more of that. And really from that day ago, seven years ago, I've, uh, I've set an intention to invest in myself some way every year, whether that's a certification program or whether that's doing certain webinars or whatever, reading books, whatever that is. But um, if I'm not growing, if I'm not what you would say, putting my oxygen mask on first, I can't actually put that on others. And it's my great goal in life to help to share that with as many people as I can to help them grow into their version of success. What, what does your family think about when you talk about these things? Like, how do, how do you approach it with them to, to obviously help them develop themselves, but also, uh, you know, explain why you are doing what you're doing? Well, I, I think it's just a part of who I am and, and, and who we are as a family, right? Um, it's, I don't think it's a surprise to them because in everything that we do, when I coach my kids in sports, we're talking about what can we do to bring out the best in our teammates and, and the people we coach. When we're in our family, we're talking about our dreams. How are you going to get to, you know, what's your next dream after high school? What's your dream next year? That's, that's part of our, um, part of our repertoire if you will. So um, I I really don't think I'm all that different at at home than I am at any other time. So um, my family, especially my kids are pretty, um, are are pretty, uh, are pretty aware of these things. And, um, and and they start to live it themselves. Um, It's funny, because I currently I'm coaching a group of 14 and 15 year old boys in flag football. And uh, one kid, um, one kid keeps coming to practice. He says, "Hey, coach, I'm just here to be a difference maker today, right?" So he's, you know, listen to things I've said. And this came from a from a speech or from someone else that that I that I took them to. And but that's that's the thing that they're starting to talk about. So hopefully, somewhere in their mind, they're going to start to think about this and take that into both their personal life um, and you know, and their in in their personal life and their professional life. Yeah. So I can tell you as a, uh, as a young father, I've got a, a, a two-year-old and, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to coach uh, uh, high school sports as well for about four and a half years. And one of the things that I really recognize about kids in particular that's so brilliant is, is how quickly they learn. And so you can try a lot of things and see how people react um, in, a, in a test and learn way and then change your approach really quickly later on. Whereas when you're speaking with adults, everything takes a little longer, right? Because not because they're not capable, because, but because people are very resistant to change. Um, is that why maybe you know, you've got this balance of being able to coach these kids as well as these adults? And do you take the principles from the kids and, and try and move it uh, forward to the adults? Well, uh, yeah, I, I think I think the principles are the same, but you're right that, you know, a 15-year-old kid might not have been hardened by by uh, by maybe setbacks already that, that some, some adults might. So they look at it with more of a critical eye. But 
uh, the way to um, support those people as adults is actually to, um, to show them your support and ask those questions. How can I support you to achieve what you want to achieve? And when you start asking that question, and you're not going to go in and ask people tomorrow that question, but you're going to start to live it first, right? Live it in how you interact with people. Live it in the questions that you ask. Live it in how when you ask somebody how they are, you actually mean it. And you actually listen and, and have a response for that. It's not just, I'm doing fine. So one of the questions I love to ask people and say, hey, how you doing? Is, hey, what are you grateful for? And when, when we change that question, it makes our brain rethink that. And they're like, okay, I got to actually think about this. I'm not just going to tell them I'm good, go away. So when they start to think about that, I learn something about them. I usually learn something about their personal life. I'm grateful for my, my trip to the coffee shop this morning. Or I'm grateful for my kids or my cat or, or whatever that is. And so that really helps connect with people, break down those barriers. And really, if I can show that, that caring and vulnerability with them, then they'll start to act on that in return. Maybe not right away, but in return. And one of my favorite quotes by Brene Brown is that vulnerability, vulnerability is the birthplace of joy, creativity, belonging, and love. And I still haven't met anyone that said to me, Tim, I'm looking for less joy, creativity, belonging, and love in my life. So how do you take uh, this and now transplant it into the ecosystem of uh, your group of companies? Um, and maybe tell us about some of the struggles you had early on when you were trying to pr promote these philosophies, but maybe they weren't being taken up immediately. Yeah, so the first question I had when I said, you know what, we should do dream sessions with people. And I think it's really gonna work. We're gonna ask them about their personal dreams and support them. So the first, first thing is, hey, Tim, that sounds like a lot of work. Do I really wanna support the people around me in their personal dreams? And my answer to that is, well, if you're not, there's not gonna be a lot of success in your company because if you're not gonna support them, why do you think they're even gonna think about supporting you as their, as their employer? Um, number one, number two, someone said, Tim, nobody's ever going to talk to you about their dreams. And in all my time of doing this with hundreds of people, I have had probably one, maybe two people that really didn't want to get in, get into that. And, and that was maybe as much a part of, uh, of, of my, myself or ourselves as leaders, not, um, not, not showing that leadership enough as it was with them. But 99% of people, let's say, want to share their dreams with you they're willing to roll the dice, right? If you said to me, Tim, um, I'm willing to invest and support one of your dreams, tell me what it is. I'll be like, I don't really know if this guy can do it or not, but you know what? Why don't I throw it on the table? I really can't lose. And so when they start to think about that and they're like, you know what? Nobody else that I've ever worked with or worked for has ever asked me that. Nobody has ever really cared. And then they at least figure out that, you know what? You care enough to ask them. What's important to them? And how can I support you? And that starts to bring connection. But so when we started these dream sessions, not only did they share their dreams with me, for example, I started sharing my dreams with them because it's when we have a back and forth, that's when the creativity starts and they might share a dream with me. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I might start thinking about that. And I share a dream with them. They're like, I never thought that was possible because once you start surrounding yourself with those people that dream, you start getting great ideas and you start doing that yourself. And then you actually have a potpourri of these dreams that you can pull from. Which one do I really want to achieve? And you can't pick them all. 
you got to pick what ones are most important to you. Um, you probably can't go on a vacation and buy the Ferrari all in one year. So what's more important? Pick one. And then you start making decisions in your life that are actually, that you're taking, you know, you're taking control. You're saying, I've made the decision that I'm going to drive a lesser car so I can go on a great vacation rather than being a victim to circumstance of not having that, that, you know, the, the, the wherewithal to, to buy that new car. That that's very uh, profound. I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I see this all the time uh, with individuals who aren't willing to set their expectations and their dreams high enough. I'm assuming though, that as a business leader, you've had some hard times as well, where maybe people just weren't able to get on board or were not able to achieve those expectations. Um, and, and you had to make changes. How do you approach your candidness uh, with them based on that love that you want to show them as well. Because sometimes those hard conversations with individuals who maybe aren't going to work out in your company at all, um, still have to showcase that, you know, respect. Well, I, I think the, the first principle it starts with is um, principle by uh, John Izzo called the 100-0 principle. That's taking 100% responsibility and making 0% excuses for everything that happens to me always. And, uh, you know, I like uh, like many people have made just as many mistakes as I've made uh, if I, as, as I've made good decisions. But when I take a hundred percent responsibility for everything that happens to me or everything I do and make zero percent excuses that it was this person's fault or this person's fault, that's when the magic really happens. So when there's somebody in our company that might not be doing as well as 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 they should, I know that ninety nine percent of people in this world are trying to do good work. There might be a very small percentage of people that just really don't care and, and, and there's nothing that we can do about, but 99% are trying to do good work. And it's really up to me as the leader to find the way, the conduit for them to do that good work. So I take it on myself first. I'm like, hey, here's what's happening or not happening. How can I support you to get to that point where we need to get to? And really understanding myself, if I don't do that, I'm not serving them. Well, number one, but number two, uh, they might not be in a position that will help them succeed in, in where they're at. So if I don't have that hard conversation. They either might not, you know, do the things they need to do to succeed, or they might also realize, you know what, um, I'm not maybe in the best job or role that I should be. And I might be able to help them to find that somewhere else. And that's my job is to help them find that somewhere else. Right. And not everyone is, is meant to be in that specific company, but I really am not loving them if I let them flounder in that role. So I have to help them either move up or in some cases I need to help them to move out, but be very clear with them as, you know, another Brene Brown quote, clear is kind be very clear with them on the expectations, what they need to do to hit those expectations, and most importantly, how I'm gonna support them to achieve those expectations. So you're also working not only with your own group of individuals, but with your clients. And I'm assuming uh, you've had the opportunity to see a lot of different personalities and a lot of different problems, but there's probably some problems that are fairly common uh, for people, whether they're getting into business for the first time or they've been doing it for 40 years. What are some of those things? Most common problem 
for every uh, business leader, and I'd probably argue every person in the world, is time mastery. A lot of people talk about time management. I would call it time mastery. Um, and that's certainly come from my work with, with Nancy McKay. And because what a lot of people do is they make decisions in their life as far as how they use their time. And sometimes they don't realize they're making a decision. For example, um, I might mindlessly turn on TV and watch two hours of TV tonight. Well, I'm making the decision to watch TV over doing something else. Maybe it's playing with my kids. Maybe it's reading a book. And once I take control of all the way that I spend my time during the day, and I look at those times that may or may not be serving me and look, you know, watching TV at night, that might be a nice way to unwind, right? There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But once I take control of realizing what, asking myself, what are the different things I could do in my calendar to, uh, to master my time better, to achieve the goals I want to achieve. And in most cases, when we really look into and dissect what we do every day, when we ask hard questions, like my one hour meeting every Monday morning, does that have to be one hour or could that be 30 minutes? How could I utilize the value of executive brevity to cut that down to be more valuable? Would that give me more deep work time? Would that give me the more time with my family that I deeply desire? How would I like to utilize this time? Um, and, uh, you know, time mastery is certainly something that we're all striving for uh, daily. And I'm striving, striving to continue to master that. But people often ask, so like, Tim, okay, you, you coach people, you do a peer group in K forums, you do speaking agents, you run a company in Jacks. What is, what's the secret to how you're doing more with the same amount of time. And the, the secret is just looking at my calendar and figuring out what are the decisions I need to make to, to better master my time and how can I involve those around me to support me in that. And I assume that that changes often as well because nothing ever stays the status quo and there might be times when you need to spend more time with your kids and there might be other times where you need to spend more time with Jacks and maybe other times where you have the ability to, to expand your personal coaching business or your speaking engagements. Um, and the judgment of yourself is so incredibly critical as well, because if you decide that, uh, that you're not doing it right, many people can be very hard on themselves and they will stop um, thinking about it in a very logical way. Um, and often we just need to say, hey, we're doing our best. And we want to get better. And now if I say that next week, I'm going to spend more time with my kids, I'm not going to regret last week. I'm just going to focus on what I'm doing going forward. Yeah, I think you can utilize that in your, in your calendar. I'm, I'm very religious about how I use my calendar. Almost everything I do is in there. And, and one person once said, Tim, are you not a slave to your calendar then? I actually found it quite freeing that I have things in there so I don't schedule over them. So for example, one of the uh, activities I did with my coach was identify the most important things to me and put those into my calendar first. So that was, you know, on whatever the day is, Wednesday afternoon, I'm going to coach uh, soccer at four o'clock. So that means I'm going to finish work at three. I might have to go to work early. I might have to work later a different day. And that's in my calendar. Nothing gets booked uh, in the afternoon on Wednesday afternoon. I'm going to find you know, time uh, to, if, if, if I'm going out for dinner with my wife, I'm going to put in my calendar. Nothing can book, get booked over that. I might go for lunch with her one day, breakfast, whatever that is. Put those more, most important things first, and then I can uh, work other things 
uh, around that. And especially in, in companies now, most companies are pretty open to a flexible work schedule. So even if you're an employee in a company, um, many companies would work around things like that. If you said, hey, you know what? It's important for me to take my kids to school once a week. Can I, can I work at 10 after I take them to school at nine? Um, and it's really when you critically look at that calendar and, um, and look at that matrix of, there's a great matrix called the Eisenhower matrix with importance on one side and on one axis and urgency on another axis. And one of the greatest difficulties people have is they spend most of their time in the urgent and important uh, quadrant, and they spend uh, the second most time in the urgent but not important quadrant, and they never get to the important but not urgent. And when you start to move into the all important, the both of the important quadrants, that's when uh, you really start to achieve the goals that you might have set. Yeah, and of course, dumping the uh, not in not urgent, not important, because of course those those things can fill up a lot of time and and uh, a lot of our brain power, right? Now we haven't even talked yet about the customer, and the customer is of course the reason why you've been uh, so successful. I shouldn't say that your, your staff and your team have been the reason you've been so successful, but the customer is an incredibly important point to that. Um, how do you try and uh, approach your team so that they can build? relationships with your customers? Well, I, I think, you know, Southwest Airlines probably does it best where they said, you know what, we love our people. And in turn, they exude that out to the customer. So when we started doing this with our people, it's funny how um, and how they start exuding that out to our customers. And when we truly bring in that experience of saying, our job is to be experiential to them and, and we work for the customer, right? So our employees work for the customer and I work for the employees, right? We have, you mentioned earlier, but we have a little joke that when people get hired into Jax, um, we have the joke that today is the uh, last day that you work for me and the first day that I work for you. And when we bring that mindset to when I'm dealing with our people and then they start to bring that to the customer, that's when the um, that's when the magic starts to happen. And it's, you know, it's it can be difficult sometimes, right? But when, when we start to have these training programs and really start to identify what our goals are, and our goal at JAX, for example, is not to be the best customer service organization in retail liquor. It's not to be the best liquor store in the country, in the province, or in the world. It's to be the best service organization in the world. So when we compare ourselves, we compare ourselves to organizations like Disney and Apple and people and organizations that give amazing service. And so we're continually striving to think about what are the little things that we could do to take it up even a notch from there. And so that's what keeps us going every day to get to that level where we set our expectations so high. And then we tell our customers that, and then they expect it. So I deal with a lot of customers that sometimes didn't receive or didn't feel that they received that, um, that, they, that, that experience they'd hoped for. And then I got to go to them and say, hey, the one thing I can always um, guarantee you is I can't guarantee you no mistakes, but I can guarantee you that we will work on it and take care of it for the next time. Yeah, and intention is so critically important uh, in any business for sure. So we've covered off a lot today. And uh, before we wrap up, I wanna learn a little bit more about what you would like to accomplish in the future and some of your big goals and planning for, for your company and for yourself. Yeah, so uh, our, our purpose, our mission at Jax is to share our passion for people and spirits. And so 
what we cur- what we constantly do is trying to try and find ways to do that even better and more so with our people and then out to our, our customers, our guests, and then out to the greater community. So certainly for that, we'll continue to grow at Jackson in a number of stores um, as, as we grow into the future. For me personally, it's to take some of these principles and, and help other organizations and other executives and leaders to bring this out to the people that they, uh, that they live and work with and really taking out that dreaming audaciously piece um, to, to love unconditionally by dreaming audaciously. And when we realize that, um, understand what we need to do and it's that love, that energy, that accountability and that dreaming. And people ask me, Tim, what do you need to do to create that energy? And a lot of times it's checking myself at the door and saying, hey, I got to show up at the next meeting with energy and I got to figure out how to do it because I'm not feeling it today. And it's not necessarily about feeling it. It's about doing it. And so I got to figure out in myself and be a hundred, take hundred percent responsibility of myself, knowing that what's expected of me at that next business meeting is to bring the energy so people can, other people can feed off it. When I do strategic planning with other companies, that's what they expect. And I got to figure out how to do that. If that takes six cups of Starbucks in the morning, that's what I got to do. If that's some kind of daily meditation, that's what I got to do. And once we internalize that on ourselves, that's when our organizations can get truly great. And, and I hope to take that out to the world to love unconditionally by dreaming audaciously. Well, you're doing a very great job of it. Now, if anyone wants to catch up with you, where's the best opportunity for them to find you? Yeah, certainly finding me on LinkedIn, just as you did, is a great way to find me. You can go to my website, which is serviceleadership.com. Service is spelled S-E-R-V-U-S. It's the Latin word for servant. Uh, And those are probably the best ways to connect with me. I love to uh, connect with new people. And as it relates to connection and game changers, here's one quick story about that. About 10 years ago, I had a friend that said, Tim, I want to connect you with another business leader. And I say, great, who is it? They said, this person's an artist, like a person that paints, um, paints pictures, paints on canvas. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not really an art, artsy kind of guy. I have, I have art on my wall, but you know, like what value are we going to receive from each other? And this person said, Tim, you got to open up your mind. Uh, if you show up with an open mind, you will receive value from anybody you meet in the whole world. And, um, and hopefully, and if you come with the same mindset, they'll receive value from you. So I went into this meeting, this person became one of the greatest connectors that I had ever met. And my mindset was originally close to that. So since that day, I have realized that every connection can be amazing. If I, if I solely show up to the connection, to the meeting with them, stating, how can I add value to you and other people that you know? with no strings attached to return. And generally they'll start asking me that question and that's when great things happen. Well, that's incredible and a great message. And I just love everything that you're doing. Uh, I appreciate it so much. Uh, We've learned a ton from you and Tim, I hope to talk to you soon. This has been another episode of You Sip, I Sip. This is Doug here signing off and I can't wait to see you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to You Sip, I Sip. Please hit the five-star rating and leave us a review. If you'd like to learn more about Northern Lights Winery, text us at 604-670-4046 or visit us on social media at Northern Lights Winery.